0: Hello everyone, I'm Rachel and I'm going to be reading the Bible for us this morning. Today's reading comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were
1: Hi everyone, Uh, great to have you online with us today. My name's Luke. Uh, First of all, don't forget you can follow along in your outline, which is under the notes section um, just to the right of the screen or below the video if you're on a mobile device for the sermon outline. So let's talk about doubt. Doubt. We have two weeks left in our series in John's Gospel called This Is Not The End. And today my big takeaway is that doubt is not the end. So to explore this further, here are some different types of doubt uh, that we might have as we think about Christianity. Maybe you've thought these through. Um, These are three I've come up with this week. There might be more, but here's three I thought are pretty good at covering some of the bases. So first type of doubt. This is what I call, I don't like what I see. I don't like what I see. You know, there's this great story in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 16, Exodus 16. And God's people, uh, they're the ones feeling like this. Life has become tricky. They've left Egypt. They've followed God out of there as he's rescued and redeemed them by his grace and power. And they start to grumble. They accuse God of being cruel and nasty and mean and simply wanting to laugh at them as they die in the wilderness. It's similar today in saying something like, I don't like what I see in Christianity. Maybe you look back in history and you say, the Crusades, yuck. Or the person who claimed to be a Jesus follower but has done these horrible things. I mean, recall to mind uh, the institutional abuse in the church. And a lot of that, of course, is is fair criticism. People have done horrible things in the name of Jesus. And so for someone to say, if God is like that and his people are like this, then I don't want to believe. I don't want to have anything to do with that God. And so people reject God because of something that was perceived rightly or wrongly as to what the Christian faith is. I don't like what I see. The next thing we have is this uh, unless you God type of doubt. Unless you God, that's what I've called it. These moments of... um, where we call upon God to do something. We say that if God comes through uh, on what we want Him, then I'll be convinced that God is real, then I will believe. You know, as a 10-year-old, I remember uh, sitting in the toilet once, and uh, it was a cold winter's day, and I remember saying, God, if you're real, uh, stop the rain so that I can go to the footy. I'm sure that many of us can relate to similar moments, perhaps a little deeper than, than just that. But it was essentially, if God, if you're real, then do this. Now the trouble with this, at least for me, was that I didn't really know or care who I was calling out to. And what I wanted wasn't to believe in God, but to manipulate the situation to something I had no control over, stopping the rain. And God just seemed like a convenient way to get what I wanted. And even if the Christian God did answer in that moment, such a request often, we don't subscribe to it from being from God either. We would say coincidence or fate, or maybe it was a fluke, and so we find ourselves back at the start again. But before I mention the last form of uh, belief, r- recognize that wrestling through these objections and doubts is often a very good thing, because often wrestling through his questions give you clarity on who Jesus is. Consider C.S. Lewis for a moment. He was an atheist until the age of 32, and he wrote this at the age of 18, and it reads like most unbelieving 18-year-olds today. I'll quote, quote C.S. Lewis. He says, you know, I think I believe in no religion. There is absolutely no proof of any of them, and from a philosophical standpoint, Christianity is not even the best. Or religions, that is. Or mythologies, to give them the proper name, are merely man's own invention. Now, as time went on after many discussions and reading Christian literature and secular writings, and he was traveling to the zoo in the side of his brother's motorbike, and he says this, When I set out, I did not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and when we reached the zoo, I did Finally, we have this uh, struggle to. I struggle to. Here is a type of doubt that exists as we work out what faith looks like in any given situation, maybe a pocket of unbelief that actually pushes us to believe even more as opposed to rejecting God. For example, there's a story in Gospel of Mark and a man comes to Jesus with his son tormented by a demon and, and he says to Jesus, can you do something? And Jesus replies, of course I can do something, just believe. And the father so wisely and honestly just says, I do believe, help My unbelief. And so maybe that's you today. Maybe in the past you said you believed. You professed Christian faith, faith in the Christian God, even identified as a follower of Jesus. But today, you would no longer say that. You haven't completely given up, but you just can't get your head around the claims of Jesus any longer. And maybe you're a mixture of all three of those. But you know Jesus' own followers doubted him too? Thomas, from today's reading, is one of them. He even had his own moment of saying, Unless you God, I won't believe. But here's the thing, we could say that Thomas doubted himself to belief, not unbelief. Doubted to belief, and that's a big difference. What I'm trying to say is that there is a doubt that isn't opposed to faith. So what can you do with your doubt? Well, keep wrestling, keep thinking, and maybe, like Thomas, you'll doubt yourself to belief as well. And it's so good if you're here watching this and that resonates with you. I'll be honest, I do hope that after today, you'll be one step closer to feeling a little less doubtful in in Christianity, in Jesus particularly. Because no matter your doubts, no matter your skepticisms, Jesus actually comes to help our unbelief. And that's what we're going to see today. So let's walk through this narrative. It's a short one. Uh, We'll do it together. I've broken it into three parts, which you can follow along in the handout in the notes section Then we'll end with a few brief comments about those of us who feel maybe a bit like Thomas and those of us who would say we're more like the disciples in this as well. So first part, this is the struggle. Let's go. Have a look from uh, verses 24 to uh, 25. It says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. So we continue the story uh, from Easter Sunday. It's, it's sometime that week. Now, John, the author of this particular gospel account of Jesus, he's very explicit that Thomas was not there when Jesus appeared to his followers the first the first time back in verse 19. We don't know where Thomas was. Or why he wasn't there. But what's clear is that by now he has not seen the risen Jesus. His friends had. They told him, we've seen the Lord, remember? But into that statement, Thomas objects. A real issue has suddenly arisen for him in that. He's saying them of essentially, your testimony, guys, while valid for you, is simply not mine. So I can't believe what you say unless I see Jesus myself and stick my hands in his wounds in his side. He's quite emphatic that he he will not believe. You know what Thomas shows us is that faith is not necessarily straightforward. This is wonderful. Jesus has to work through a whole zoo of unbeliefs and doubts and fears and confusion in each person. But you know, Jesus is more than able to do that and more prepared for the challenge, by the way. A theologian by the name of Norman Geisler says, no matter, no amount, sorry, of evidence can compel anyone to believe in Jesus. Belief requires assent not only of the mind, but also of the will. As Giesler goes on to say, a skeptic might reverse the argument by claiming that a Christian just wants to believe. And that's true in some sense. Many Christians only believe because they want to and cannot justify the belief. However, many non-Christians also do the same. They take a blind leap of faith that their non-Christian beliefs are true simply because they want them to be. You see, belief isn't always easy. And for Thomas here, what was it that actually caused him to struggle here? Well, it's the resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus. He could not get his head around it. So that's part one. This is the struggle that we see with Thomas, doubting, doubting about the resurrection of Jesus, and it's a real issue for him. It's a real issue for many of you watching as well, and that's okay, but this isn't the end of Thomas' journey, nor is this the end of your journey. Part two is the moment. Notice in verse 26, time passes. It says a week later, A week passes from that moment until now. Thomas is going to spend seven days wrestling with all of this. You know, God has time in his hands. He's not slow as something. He's working in each life, running to his calendar and his agenda. And suddenly, all the disciples are together Thomas as well. Jesus appears just like before, comes in the room, he turns directly to Thomas and he speaks and says, Thomas, hey dude, touch my hands, stick your fingers in my side. He answers the very objections to unbelief that Thomas had. You see, Jesus' words to him show us that Jesus was present when Thomas said, I won't believe. You know, you can take your doubts to Jesus. He'll hear, he will know. Jesus hears us. He even articulated back to Thomas all the doubts and fears. And just like we saw in Jesus' reply to Mary that he knows our name, Jesus here hears us too. We have a God who hears us and knows our name. He may not be visible when we question, but he's always within earshot. And then his last words to Thomas are really significant. He says, stop doubting and believe. You could actually translate it a bit more forcefully as do not disbelieve, but believe, or do not be an unbeliever, but a believer. The idea is that there's force behind what Jesus is saying. You see, Jesus actively wants to bring Thomas to the point of belief, and he calls for a response. And then unbelief just evaporates as Thomas says, my Lord and my God. I remember reading the Bible with a non-Christian, who who was very much like Thomas here. And each week we'd meet up, we'd drink coffee, and we'd chat about over a few chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And each week this person would arrive, and and brimming around the outside of their Bible was yellow sticky tabs, ready to point out to me all the uh, unjust, horrible reactions and attitudes in Luke's account of the life of Jesus, things that that are wrong and morally corrupt and and why we shouldn't believe. And it was wonderful to see, to see this person wrestling and thinking through, working out who Jesus was and is directly from the Bible. And as time went on, it was wonderful. The yellow tabs just became less and less each week. The question didn't evaporate, but the need to argue against Jesus slowly eroded and belief started to bloom. And then one day they said to me, I still have questions, but, and there's a lot I'm working through, but I'm, I'm sure of this now. Jesus is my Lord and my God, and that's what I know. And, and notice, that's what happened for Thomas too. Jesus became real to him and for him. Because you see, you can hear all the arguments for belief in Jesus and in God. But the question isn't, can you tell me what a Christian believes? Rather, do you believe that Jesus is your Lord and God? Now, the other thing to notice is that for a Jew in the first century, this is much bigger than just a personal confession of faith either. Lord and God, they were two words the Old Testament rendered to Yahweh and Yahweh alone. It was the language addressing the covenantal God of the Jews. One commentator says, Thomas makes clear that one may address Jesus the same way, the same languages in which Israel addressed Yahweh God. And Jesus doesn't correct him that very high covenantal language, Jesus gladly accepts, which means he is indeed God. Now, when John wrote this, there was a slogan that said, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is God. And against that confession is Thomas's, sorry, against that is Thomas's confession, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. You know, today we'd say probably something like, I am my Lord, I am my own God. We don't like to think we have to submit to anyone. Australians are very anti-institutional. We're suspicious of anyone in leadership. The question is, though, do you really want to trust yourself? Do you really think that we are the answer to our problems and that humanity is at its best isn't so often the problem us and what we see in our hearts? St. Augustine wrestled with this for a long time and many years ago he said in a sermon that you cannot be your own light. You just can't. It doesn't work like that. We are in need of enlightenment. You're going to trust yourself to someone. So wouldn't you rather entrust yourself to the one who gave himself up for you? And it's a great moment for Thomas. But there's still one more thing that Jesus would say here to him. And this is the thing. This is part three. Here's the thing. What about those who would believe, you and me, without seeing Jesus like Thomas did? Or Mary, or the others in that room, or the 500 that saw him after he rose from the dead. He sees Thomas saw and believed. He was one of the very few people that could gaze upon Jesus in the flesh after the resurrection. He believed because he saw, but Jesus knows his ascension up into heaven, back to God, the Father, is not far off. And since that moment, millions of people have been saved without seeing like Thomas saw. So the assurance Jesus gives to Thomas and to us is that anyone who sees without believing doesn't have an inferior faith. In fact, Jesus says, blessed. What does that mean? Well, blessed can just mean happy and joyful. That's certainly true. Happy are those who believe. But here it's more emphasizing a privilege of receiving divine favor. To say it another way, a declaration of acceptance before God that makes you happy. You see, Jesus is telling us that for anyone who comes after Thomas, there is a great blessing of assurance that God gives in the same vein as if they saw him alive, just like Thomas did. We don't have an inferior faith. And so while you and me haven't seen Jesus, we have the blessing of deep assurance that this is in the same vein as the faith that Thomas had and the disciples back then. We can trust their witness. We could say that faith seeing, faith seeing is more joyful than eye seeing. Peter goes on to write in 1 Peter 1, 8 to 9, you love him now even though you do not see him. Our faith is that one day we will see him. Ours looks by faith at the risen Jesus. And that is a blessing in itself because one day as surely as he is risen, we will see him with our own eyes. So that's Thomas's journey from unbelief to belief. Let's bring us home uh, for today. I've got two thoughts. Firstly, those are a bit like Thomas. And this is, if you're not a believer, uh, not sure what you believe, I'd like you to take this away to think about. Think about this. Jesus doesn't dismiss Thomas in his doubts, does he? Maybe well many Christians have dismissed you or misunderstood your questions and it's not gone too well. But know that Jesus doesn't. you know also that doubt isn't a sin either. Doubt is not a sin. While there are many sins, I'm sure, that that you and me need to confess to God and ask for his forgiveness, repent from, but doubt isn't one of them. It's quite legitimate to doubt. After all, the Christian message is is Proclaiming something quite extraordinary that has broken into our world, that God became a human, that this man Jesus died for our sins, rose to new life, and that all of his claims appear very strange to our entire way of of living and, and being, the view of power and wealth, humility, success. Sometimes it takes a while to wade through all that, the doubt, to get to belief, doesn't it? The question is, what will you do with the claims of Jesus? Notice that Jesus does want a response. He does give Thomas a push. He says, Thomas, stop doubting, believe. But you see, doubt often leads to confidence. And when you are pushed by the risen Jesus telling you, stop believing and believe, maybe you'll end up saying like Thomas did, my Lord and my God. So think about this. What would you say if you were in Thomas's shoes that day? And then ask, am I prepared to echo Thomas's reply that Jesus is my Lord and my God today? So finally, just a comment then uh, to those that maybe identify as the disciples here. Now, we know the disciples didn't keep the message of Jesus quiet, verse 25. They spoke to Thomas about the risen Jesus. But did you realize how they did this? They contextualized Jesus for Thomas. What do I mean? Well, just think through who they're speaking to, who Thomas is. He'd been with Jesus for three years. He knew Jesus really, really well. And they knew what Thomas needed right at that moment was to know Jesus was alive. That into all his fears and heartbreak, Jesus had risen. They had seen him alive. You know what that means? That sometimes saying something is simple to an unbelieving person who's not quite there yet, Jesus is alive, is perhaps all that's needed to awaken faith. And true and good, and we should say that. But it should not be the limit of what we say, nor should we not think through what that person we are talking to needs to hear and know about God in relation to their life. So my question for the disciples of Jesus out there, are we speaking the true Jesus in a relevant way to those around us? Don't be dismissive of doubts and thoughts. Remember, Jesus hears them. Can you represent and speak into the problems with, with the Christian view fairly? Are you working at fostering a culture and having good spiritual discussions? How can we do it online? And then take comfort too that it was seven days From the gospel proclamation, Jesus is alive, to when Jesus appeared up. Some of you have family and friends who has been way longer than seven days you've been speaking about the risen Jesus to. Take comfort that Jesus is within earshot of every conversation. Have even more confidence that Jesus loves your children, your, your friends, your workmates, your family, far more than you do. Yes, it is actually possible. Jesus loves them more than you. And then as you do that, don't forget disciples of Jesus that you are an unbeliever too? I think you find that you still doubt and don't believe either. I mean, after all, are there not parts of your life that aren't quite sitting well in a Jesus as Lord? Are many of you still wrestling with your sexuality in light of the gospel of Jesus? Do you wake up each morning and struggle to remind yourself of the gospel as the flood of thoughts enter the day? Do you find it hard to enjoy your singleness? What about navigating family and work? Is your desire for things and stuff a little bigger some days than God? He provides all you need because Jesus gave up all he had to give you the riches of heaven. Does it not look and feel like you're an unbeliever at some parts of your life too? So don't forget the believer's doubt too. And just as Thomas needed to meet the risen Jesus, I need to meet the risen Jesus each day. I'm sure you do as well. Because you know, here's the thing, John's purpose in writing this document for us, his letter, is to help move us from belief in, to help move us to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name, verses 30 and 31. Wouldn't you want to believe in a God that is big enough to handle all your doubts, all your fears, to give you life in His name, especially when we're so aware of life and mortality, our fears and securities, that there is a God who came through the other end of death to give us life. That's enough from me, I'm gonna fix the set. I hope to see you again next week.